This is IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. I'm your host, Lee Llewellyn. Many Indiana communities are faced with the loss of local businesses when the founder and owner retires and there is no offspring or local buyer that wants to take on the business. This can represent a loss of jobs, a loss of local resource, and in some cases, loss of local investment. So as economic development professionals, you may often be at a loss about how to address this loss in your community. So in this podcast, we're going to focus on one option that may keep a local business local and preserve those local jobs. And we're going to talk about employee ownership. There are a number of employee ownership models that we're going to touch on and one that we'll talk about in more depth. Uh, The employee stock option plans is sometimes referred to as ESOP. Uh, With me to talk about this concept is Debbie Troca, Executive Director of the Indiana Cooperative Development Center, and Jeff Banning, President of Banning Engineering. Jeff recently took his company through the employee stock ownership process, and I want to thank you both for agreeing to uh, chat with me today. So I'm going to start with uh, Deb Troca and talk about the cooperative model, which is sort of a variation here. Uh, to talk about this in very general terms, and then we will narrow down the co-op model and how it applies to this employee ownership concept. Uh, So first, Deb, uh, talk about just the cooperative model and concept. Uh, What is a co-op and where might IEDA members have already interacted with a co-op? All right. So co-ops are people-centered businesses that are owned, controlled, and run by their members to meet their common needs, whether that's economic, social, or cultural needs. So co-ops bring people together in a democratic and equal way. Um, Whether the members are customers, employees, users, residents, co-ops are democratically managed by the one member, one vote rule. In other words, no matter how much you have invested in capital into the co-op, no one has more votes or more say or more sway in the decision-making process than anybody else. So co-ops are businesses driven by values, not just profit. And they share an internationally agreed upon set of principles, the seven cooperative principles. And they all act together. Um, Cooperatives are in that kind of mode of trying to build a better world through cooperation. Co-ops allow people to take control of their economic future, And because they're not owned by shareholders, somebody outside the co-op, the economic and social benefits of the activities of the co-op stay in the communities where they're established. So the profits are either reinvested locally in uh, the community and in the co-op or returned to the members. Co-ops exist in every business sector that you can imagine, and they range in size from small businesses to very, very large businesses. Um, Some examples that you might be familiar with in the energy sector, if you live in a rural community, more than likely you get your power from a rural electric cooperative. I live in Hendricks County, so my power comes from um, Hendricks Hendricks Power. Um, If you do business with a credit union, if you bank with a credit union, you are doing business with a cooperative. You have heard probably on television uh, commercials for mutual insurance companies whether that's Mutual of Omaha or Nationwide, those are also a form of cooperative. 
And in the ag sector, there are tons of cooperatives. When you go to the grocery store, very likely almost any product that you put into your grocery basket is going to have been produced by a cooperative, whether that's Land O'Lakes, Sunkist, and here in Indiana, Co-Alliance. Consumer co-ops is a very, very broad category, and there are a lot of co-ops in this category. If you are a sports enthusiast and you buy your outdoor equipment at REI, you have just bought product from a cooperative. Um, if you live in the Bloomington area and shop at Blooming Foods, you're shopping at a cooperative. Another big sector um, that you may not be familiar with is if you buy um, products at Do It Best, that's a purchasing cooperative and they're headquartered in Fort Wayne. Um, Carpet One is another uh, cooperative, purchasing cooperative. Daycare um, and childcare cooperatives, there are a number of those in central Indiana such as the Apple House Cooperative Preschool or Speedway Cooperative Preschool in Speedway. We don't have um, any of these that I'm aware of in Indiana, but there is a whole sector in the co-op community in home care. Uh, it's a, an area of need that's growing rapidly as those of us boomers continue to age and decide that we don't want to go into uh, any type of communal living, but would rather stay at home and age in place. Housing cooperatives is another big um, area of co-ops and the list goes on. And I'll stop here. Well, and, and so Deb, you and I've talked about, and you touched upon a couple of these things, you and I've talked about maybe doing a podcast just on the cooperative model, because you touched upon uh, um, housing co-ops. Uh, we've talked about uh, childcare, daycare co-ops, uh, so that there are some models of co-ops that we can perhaps uh, talk about how they can address some of the other challenges that um, uh, economic developers are dealing with. But, but today we're talking specifically about this notion of employee ownership. So just talk a little bit at a very high level about this concept of employee ownership as we sort of work into to, to this topic. Sure. So again, co-ops are values-driven businesses, um, but in this case, in a worker co-op case, they, the business puts the worker and community benefit at the core of its purpose. Um, so there are two central characteristics of a worker co-op. The workers own the business and they participate in its financial success based on their labor contribution to the business. And workers also have representation on the board and can vote for the board of directors, once again, adhering to the principle of one worker, one vote. In addition to the economic and governance participation, oftentimes, depending on the size of the worker co-op, the workers could also manage the day-to-day -day operations. So if you consider like a small six, seven, eight member um, coffee roasting cooperative, they're not going to hire outside management to manage that business. Those seven, eight workers are also going to manage the day-to-day -day operations of the business. That being said, most worker co-ops are small. Um, they're typically 50 employees or less. However, there are examples where there are multiple thousands of employees in worker co-ops, but that's more the exception rather than the rule. Co uh, worker co-ops in general are inexpensive to transition from um, employee to an employee ownership model. Say it's a sole proprietorship. It could be 
a corporation, an S-Corp partnership, whatever the case may be. Um, it's not terribly expensive to transition to the worker co-op model. And it's a great option if that small business owner maybe doesn't have children who want to take over the business. Um, they want to leave a legacy in their community. They want to ensure the continuity of the business. And they want to protect the um, and ensure that their workers are maintained once the business has transitioned out of their particular ownership. And they also want to ensure that the goods and services are continue to be available in the community rather than losing that valued resource. So I know you, you said that, that many of the, the employee owner uh, companies are small, but I think people would probably be surprised to know that one example is uh, Jasper Engines, which is a fairly large company and it is employer owned. Uh, so I want to now shift to you, Jeff, uh, uh, and talk a little bit. Um, you just uh, took your company through the ESOP process, the Employee Stock Option Plan, where in effect the employees of Banning Engineering now own the company. Uh, and, and I would guess that, you know, some IEDA members are familiar, Jeff, with your company. You've been on the IEDA board. You're at uh, conferences. But uh, for those who are not as familiar with your company, start by just talking about uh, banning engineering, um, just, you know, sort of the size of the company, what you do. Give us, first of all, just sort of a perspective on, on banning engineering, your company. Sure. Thanks, Lee. So banning engineering has been around for 28 years now. Um, I started the company in April of 94. Uh, we're located in Plainfield, Indiana. Uh, Deb, I didn't realize you were a Hendricks County uh, citizen as well. So, uh, Lee, I don't know if you had that planned or not, but uh, we're both Hendricks County people. Um, we do uh, all effectively, we do site civil survey work. I have been very instrumental in a lot of the local things that have gone on in the Hendricks County west side of Indianapolis area, but uh, our firm works all over the state. I don't know if I said probably 55, 56 employees and um, work in both private, uh, public, municipal type realms. I uh, have quite a few clients, uh, as you mentioned, Lee. Uh, really, uh, my part of the practice is, has been uh, significantly focused on economic development, and uh, that's just been really enjoyable. Been been glad to be involved with the organization for the last 10 to 12 years. So talk about your motivation um, of why you took your company through that employee stock owner process. Um, you know, a lot of people could have just, I mean, you could have just sold the company or you could just retire and, and shut it down. What was your motivation for going through this process? So motivation was several, I will say. Um, one, we're a local company. I wish I would have known about this co-op thing back in the day, Deb, but, um, you know, uh, we've grown as a local company. We've continued to flourish. We've been a part of the community. Uh, we've created that culture that was really important within the organization. 
And as I've gotten a little bit older, uh, trying to figure out, okay, when is the right time to uh, transition out, retire? I don't know that I'll ever retire, but uh, it, it became more and more apparent that we needed to have that uh, succession transition plan. Um, one of the, the drawbacks and some of the other options we had looked at uh, with an internal transition in particular is that we would, uh, we would be required to pay a lot of taxes to Uncle Sam and try to figure out you know, what that looks like and still be sustainable. Uh, the ESOP option really helped from a tax standpoint in that uh, moving forward, we do not pay taxes. So uh, that was significant from that perspective. So one of the things that really, you know, felt like the right thing to do is, uh, as you can imagine, in today's world right now, trying to find employees, trying to, um, you know, generate work in, uh, in different communities or in different places. Um, we had a lot of uh, potential other buyers looking at uh, taking us on and you know, I'm an Indiana guy at heart. I'm from Richmond originally, went to school at the University of Evansville, lived in Henry's County for over 35 years, did not want, you know, a company from another state to come in and, and scoop us up. And then we lose that, that local flavor. So fortunately, this, uh, this option worked well for us. It's not, it doesn't work for every group. Uh, and, you know, Deb mentioned the smaller co-ops being more the norm. An ESOP probably does not work for a smaller employee base, just the way it's set up. And uh, so that was really it. It was a succession plan for, for what happens when I eventually get out of the leadership of the, pro of the uh, company. And then it was to continue to keep that culture to allow our employees to, um, you know, to be a significant part of what's going on. And um, actually what the ESOP does, it just, it creates a second retirement plan along with uh, the 401k that we've got established. So uh, you, you kind of touched upon this. And so you, you've gone through this process, you've completed it now, but you're still engaged with the company. So talk about then, what the structure of the company looks like now, where you play in all of that. What does the company look like maybe before and after? And, and what's your role going forward with the company? So it's been two months. So really nothing's changed. How about that? I'm supposed to cut back on hours, but I haven't quite figured out how to do that. I'm so passionate about what I do. and But no, really the probably... The significant changes is that uh, we've created a board of directors, and uh, that that's I think hugely important moving uh, things forward. Uh, we have uh, one outside uh, member of that board, and then we have two internal members. We'll continue to add out outside members as we continue to move forward. That's probably the most significant. Uh, we created an internal ESOP committee. We have five individuals within the organization that are on that committee to help guide where the organization goes in the future. And so that, 
that's been really helpful as well in trying to get that transition moving forward to get new leadership involved. And like I said, to, to slowly transition uh, myself out. So were you a sole proprietorship? Was the company a sole proprietorship before this? We were subchapter S. It was just myself. Yeah, one owner. Uh, we were a professional corporation um, with the ESOP. Uh, professional corporations, for those that aren't familiar, you have to be licensed or registered to be a professional corporation, a PC. We changed that structure to allow, to allow uh, everyone to be owners. And uh, so now we have, you know, 55 owners are getting to that point as the, the vesting and the transition occurs. So, uh, Deb, I wanted to have this conversation uh, when I saw that Jeff had gone through this process and Banning Engineering had gone through this process, because I think in my mind, as economic development professionals, as our folks are out doing their business retention and expansion calls with local business, uh, and they learn that a, a, a long-term entrepreneur owner in their community is thinking about retiring or selling, and there wasn't somebody, um, uh, there isn't a, a son or a daughter who wants to take on the business. As Jeff referenced, you know, there's a concern that if you sell to someone outside the community, outside the state, uh, local control goes away. Sometimes, uh, you know, people will buy up a competing business to close it down and minimize competition. So I wanted to create sort of an awareness of, okay, here is an option uh, that if that local entrepreneur, that local owner is thinking about that transition, you know, what can that economic developer do in terms of maybe planting that seed with that owner? So what kind of resources would be available to someone uh, to, to say, again, the economic development professional, when they say, okay, you should, you know, consider this option, then what? What would they, you know, where would they send somebody? How, do, how would they get that process started? Sure. So two trains of thought here. So if you're interested in looking at the worker co-op model, for employee ownership, call me. My office is in Indianapolis. I have a whole national network behind me of people who do the same types of work that I do. There are also a couple of national organizations that work specifically with worker co-ops. So the first contact would, would come to me and then I can help determine, you know, is it something that I can handle here on my own or do I need to bring in outside resources? Um, you can take a look at our website uh, www.icdc.coop. For businesses who are a little bit larger, who are looking at the ESOP option, there is an organization called the Indiana Center for Employee Ownership. Their executive director um, worked for an organization that transitioned to an ESOP as well. So he has, he understands the process. He's been on the ground. He's gone through it um, and he can provide um, guidance. There's also additional employee ownership centers across the state, uh, across the nation. And the website for that organization is inceo.org. So even if you're interested in an ESOP, you can always call me and I can put you in touch with, with Rick to get that conversation started. 
So again, that's the Indiana Cooperative Development Center. That's what the ICDC stands for. And, and the Cooperative Development Center is obviously by its name, Cooperative Development Center, uh, focused on just the cooperative model. But I think you can think of Deb as kind of a resource for a variety of those things. So uh, if if you run into a company that is at least interested, a place to start maybe with the Indiana Cooperative Development Center. So, so Jeff, you know, you've gone through this. You said now you've been that that it's it's been finalized for a couple of months. Walk through at a, at a general level. Then, how did you get started in all of this? Because we established uh, that you you didn't go to the uh, cooperative development center to start with. Uh, you were starting kind of from scratch. You thought about this. So, how did you do this? What process did you have to go through? How complicated was it? Being the uh, you know the consummate entrepreneurial uh, spirit out there, right? You know, you, you, you start up a business wanting to do work for the people you want to take care of. And then as time goes on, it continues to grow and grow if you're successful. And we've been very successful, been very blessed from that standpoint. Probably 10 years ago or so is when I first heard about the ESOP option. And at the time, it just didn't fit who we are but continue to have that in the back of our mind. And when I said that didn't fit who we are, really probably lack of understanding uh, on one part, um, probably a lack of um, number of employees, the more employees, probably the better uh, option it is to have a sustainable model. As we started being approached by companies um, looking at purchasing us. I was involved with my local attorney here in the Indianapolis area, someone I went to college with, and these blessings always pop up, it seems like. Come to find out my attorney is one of the foremost experts in ESOPs. And so I was fortunate in that I could reach out to him and uh, just get a sense of what made sense, what didn't. And he helped guide us through the process. It's a, it's a pretty convoluted process, I might say. It's a relatively expensive process. The long-term benefits of it are, the, are really there, though. So if, if you can... If you can put up with the bureaucracy of getting it started, it's really a good process. Uh, our attorney, like I said, guided us through this. We had to find um, local counsel from a, a, a oh, basically a valuation firm, a, uh, you know, a, uh, an accounting firm to help us through the process. You go through and hire a trustee. He hires his local counsel and accounting firms. And then you really, it's almost like we're negotiating a deal against ourselves and have a trustee that ends up accepting the deal. And, uh, and then that's how it, it moves forward. Now the trustee's on our side uh, after the negotiations. And it's, it's really just an interesting concept, but understand the concept after going through it it's to ensure that 
the process you're going through and that the long-term viability is there. So it was an interesting process. It's so far been a worthwhile process. And those that I've talked to that have gone through the process uh, have all generally been very uh, uh, affirmative on going through it. So. So from your personal perspective, I mean, so you are, you are the founder of the company, you are an entrepreneur. And, and one thing that I think I sort of understand about some entrepreneurs is that they have a very high degree of, of sort of need to control. I mean, because you start your company because you have and you have a sense of that. Were, were you concerned about, you know, the sort of loss of control through this process? You know, a lot of people ask me that. I might be one of those different types when it comes to this, but control is really important. But, you know, over almost 30 years, you don't build a business just being the only person in control or the only person, um, you know, making decisions. You know, at the end of the day, I have the ultimate decision that still continues, you know, as we move forward. But, um, you know, it, it was always asked of me, does that create a concern? And, you know, honestly, it doesn't. Um, we have great people. And I think that's really success uh, for whether it's an ESOP or a straight LLC or a PC or whatever. It's really a team effort. It's a team organization. And I'm comfortable with our team and and so moving forward, um, I really don't have any concern and I don't believe the employees do as well. How did you, I, we didn't talk about this, but, but how did you present it to the employees? I mean, and how was that received to begin with? Because, uh, you know, we're having this conversation because this concept is not immediately understood and it's not, it may be more common than, than we think but it's not something that, that uh, most people come in contact with or are aware of. So how did you present that to the employees and how was it received to begin with? Because it could be threatening, I guess. Yeah, it, it really could. And um, I think a lot of it, well, first of all, trying to be as communicative as you can be. Of course, you can't tell everything that's going on. You don't want to, you know, create um, any sort of, I guess, animosity or any sort of uh, concern from the employees. But we've been a pretty open company. Um, I suggested to them that, you know, we've had other companies reach out to us, you know, looking to purchase us. You know, I've, I've told them that, that option is a lot more concerning than going through the ESOP process. So I kind of use those two against each other to create the positives of the ESOP. And then, of course, got people involved in, uh, you know, uh, letting them know what's going on and, and helping through the process. Uh, we had a, an operations committee. There was a group of about six or eight of us that were pretty heavily involved in going through this, trying to get buy-in, trying to, um, you know, explain it as best they could, as best as we knew, uh, so that uh, the rest of the group could, uh, you know, could be um, uh, less concerned about moving forward. Change is always difficult, right? 
So um, there, there will be some change, but there will be less change in this process versus having a new ownership team come in. Okay. So as we close, what haven't we covered uh, about sort of co-ops, about the employee ownership model? Uh, what have we missed? One thing I would say is that as a business owner, if you are particularly in the boomer generation, succession planning takes time. It does not happen overnight. So if you decide today that you want to transition your business to an ESOP or a worker co-op, it's not going to happen tomorrow. So you need to have plenty of runway to make that transition possible. Um, also, the other thing that I would say is that as a business owner, and Jeff, you can probably attest to this, a lot of times business owners have a misconception about the value of their business. A lot of times, it, because of all of the blood, sweat, and tears and effort that you have put into creating this business, sometimes there's a false idea of how much it's worth. So it's in, it's very important that you, as Jeff mentioned, that you hire a company that's skilled in business valuation and take that process very seriously. Um, as you're going, as you're starting to look at that whole process, it's incredibly important to give yourself enough time to make informed decisions. I don't think, Jeff, we we talked about just how long did it take you from start to finish to get through that process? I think we started in August of 1994 to think about the transition process. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit facetious. Um, actually, we've been talking about, you know, ownership transition for quite a while. Uh, we just really couldn't figure out a great way of doing that. Um, like I said, without paying a lot of taxes, uh, not that we didn't pay a lot of taxes, you know, going through this process, but, you know, moving forward, we don't have that issue Cash flow, of course, small firms is a big issue, and we could just never figure out how to do that comfortably uh, for the company. So in, in reality, this is probably going on two to three years. The actual ESOP process probably only took about six to eight months, if that. Um, what, what pushed us to that point was these other firms reaching out to us. So we had gone through and looked at valuations, looked at those sort of things. And so we were already setting the stage uh, for a lot of what needed to happen from an ESOP standpoint anyway. So, yeah. Well, we're appreciative. And, we, and Jeff, you have been a great supporter of economic development in Indiana and certainly of IEDA. And, and um, I think it's a success story both in terms of what you've done with the company, but also keeping that company local and keeping it as an asset for uh, Indiana economic developers. So we appreciate you going through that process. Uh, any final thoughts before we close? One final thought, um, November the 2nd, my organization and the Indiana Employee Ownership Center are hosting a virtual employee ownership conference, if you will, from say 10 to three, looking at both the 
ESOP conversion as well as a worker co-op conversion. So if you're interested or if you have businesses in your community who are interested in learning more about that, um, I'll make sure Lee gets that information. There won't be any cost. Um, it will be virtual. It will be recorded. So kind of put that on your radar screen. And, and I'll, I'll throw out there to Lee, um, if anybody has any, you know, questions, I, I can answer those as best as I know how, but uh, can, can kind of give them the backstory on things. But um, yeah, we feel like this is a good, good program for, for our organization. Every organization is different, but uh, for ours, it, it appeared to be the, the right, the right uh, way to go. And I appreciate that. We wanted to make sure that, again, as those local companies are looking at that transition, that uh, uh, IEDA members at least had this concept, this thought about being able to share with those local owners as a way of keeping that business local and keeping the investment not just the financial investment, but sort of the psychological investment of continuing to have those companies domiciled and leading in their community. So I appreciate both of you taking time to share your thoughts and kind of walk through this. Uh, so for the podcast today, I've been joined by uh, Debbie Troca, the Executive Director of the Indiana Cooperative Development Center, and our good friend to IEDA, Jeff Banning, the President of Banning Engineering, uh, Deb and Jeff, thank you both for your time. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. This podcast is copyright 2022 by the Indiana Economic Development Association all rights reserved.